At Woodside Bible Church, we gather weekly to pursue God by studying His Word together. How can Christians find the motivation necessary to overcome the challenges of our modern culture and continue the mission that God has called us to? In Revelation, All Things New, we'll discover a glorious description of the end of all things and the great kingdom to come. It's here we find motivation for our present challenges. Join us as we look to the end and find hope and strength for our mission in the present. All right, good morning, good morning. You guys over here on the right, stop having fun. We're in church. Well, good morning, everyone. It is so good to see you. Um, it is, it's just good to see you. I'm, I'm kind of giggling because the first service I made fun of Judson because he played for Winston the entire time, and then I started talking, and he just walks out. I was like, what? Just like I just walked out. I was like, what? I, like, I, you know, chop liver over here? So for those of you that don't know me, like I, I look out and there's a lot of new faces. I just want to say hi. My name is Dave Varga. I'm on the teaching team. Yeah. That, that is unnecessary. That, that was Nick. No, Nick, way too long. But um, so, yeah, I just want to just say hi and I'll be outside. I'll greet you guys when we leave. But it's if I don't know you, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to just say hi to you out, out front there. So if you have your Bibles, Revelation chapter 21 and... Are you really going to play the whole time? Just, okay. <laughs> uh, Revelation chapter 21. Um, we're going to be camped out there. But I want to pray before we uh, read the word here. So let's just bow our heads in prayer. So just God, our Heavenly Father, we are thankful that we can meet this morning. Um, we thank you for your word. We're thankful for just who you are and what you've done for us. And as we start to just read and study your word here, God, we pray that... Um, you clear our minds of any distractions from outside and you open our hearts just to receive your word well and that we'll learn from it and that we won't leave unchanged but that we'll uh, have a renewed heart and a renewed mind for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Revelation chapter 21, we're gonna be in verse one through eight. <clears throat> and John says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, come down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. <clears throat> he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So as we read that text, here's the, here's the main idea, and in in it, we take the main idea from verse 5. And the main idea this morning is that God is making all things new. 
God is making all things new. And what we're going to see as he makes all things new is three things. That one, we're going to see a new reality. Two, we get to hear about our new home. And three, we receive the promise that God gave us in the beginning of time. All right, so those are the three things, and we'll kind of break those down. You know, growing up around church, in and around church my entire life, and I laugh at that because my parents were very, very, very conservative, strict, if you will, Baptists. And uh, the, our, our vacations were around church. So we went, when we went on vacation, they always made sure that they knew a church that we could go to while we're on vacation. So growing up in and around churches from when I was little, um, you start to realize a few things. You start to pick up on things that people, people like to fall in certain camps, as I like to call that. Okay, and, and one of the camps that people like to fall in, and, and I term it, and, and I don't mean it offensively, but that they're end-time dwellers. Okay, and if you know that term, it's basically people that focus on the end-time. They love to read Revelation through and through. They've studied it. They know it. And they say things like, like there's no point in really focusing on the here and now because Jesus is coming back. And then they'll say things like, you know, the quote Ecclesiastes where Solomon says, Vanity, vanity, all is vanity, right? There's no point in focusing on the here and now at all. There's no point in having any joy or fun here and pursuing anything because Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, there's no point in any of this. And those people on that side, hear me, they're not 100% wrong, right? Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. It's not our job to know when, right? He is coming back, and they're right. There are things in this world that's vanity, Right? There are things that are vanity. On the flip side of the coin are the people that never think about the end. They never focus. They never do any studies. They maybe heard a sermon once or twice on it, but they really like the here and the now. They've given their life to the Lord, and they're like, we're going to enjoy what we have now. God has given us things like, that we have to enjoy, so we're going to enjoy that. And, and, God, and there's nothing we can do about the end anyway because God's going to do what God's going to do, and that doesn't, we can't change that. And hear me, they're not 100% wrong either, right? God is going to do what God's going to do. We're not going to change that. We know Jesus is coming back at some point. So there's nothing we can do to change that. So they're right. And God did give us things to enjoy. We should enjoy things. Like husbands, you should enjoy your wife. Wives, wives you should enjoy your husbands, kind of. Try to, anyway, right? We're, we're dirty. We get it right? But like you go up north and you're at the lake and you just look out at it. It's beautiful. God gave us that to enjoy. You go out west and you see the Grand, you know, the Grand Canyon and all the mountains. Enjoy that. God gave us that to enjoy. He did give us things to enjoy, so we should. So neither camp is 100% wrong, but if you could bring both of those camps together. And the term that I want to use this morning is you would get a heavenly-minded Christian, a Christian who is heavenly minded, who, who thinks about the end, who focuses on the end and uses that mindset to change who they are here and now. Because if you never think of that, if you never think of the end, hear me, the here and now is going to bog you down. And there's a really good chance that the here and now with all the sufferings, the pain, the chaos could win. And so God's calling us to be heavenly minded, to focus, to think about the end, what that's going to look like, what that's going to feel like, so that it will transform us, that we'll have that regenerate heart for the here and now. 
And when you read things like what Paul says, right, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? Like, that's a huge word. That's a huge phrase to understand. I, I count the, the sufferings of this current time to compare to nothing of the glory that waits for me. That's a man who is heavenly minded. And what we're going to see in the text here today is what we have to wait for. The glory that waits for us, we get to read about it in this chapter. And so if you will, we're just going to go verse by verse and kind of just break it down. And he starts with verse 1 of chapter 21. First three words is this, then I saw. And when you read the Bible, I encourage you, slow down. Slow way, way down because you'll miss a lot. You'll miss these three words. Because what John is saying here is he's telling us a story. It's a systematic things happen in order. So, for instance, like, if I'm telling you a story about somebody's day, I don't tell you, hey, he woke up in the morning, and then I don't just skip, and then I saw him eat dinner, and then I saw him eat breakfast, and then I saw him go to bed, right? Like, no, I'm going to tell you the story in order. I saw him wake up in the morning. I saw him have breakfast. I saw him get ready for work. There is this system to it. And what John is doing is telling us a story of things that are going to happen. There's a certain sequence of events that happened before this to get to this. Chapter 19. What did he, he heard? A great multitude of people singing and worshiping. And then he saw the, the, the white horsemen come through and judge. Right? And then what did he see next? He saw God detained Satan for a thousand years. And then he saw Satan released, and he deceived the nations, and then there was a great battle that takes place. And I love the battle scene. I don't know why I just like war scenes. But the beauty of the battle scene that I just love is that it's so much like our salvation that it really doesn't depend on us. Right? The battle that takes place is that God just wipes out Satan and all his demons with fire from heaven, and we get to watch. You know, what did he promise Noah in the Old Testament? I will never destroy the earth with water, but I will refine it with fire. And we get to see that and at the end of chapter 20 where he just cleans and wipes them out. And then we see another judgment that takes place, those who are in Christ and those who are out of Christ. And then he gets to see what the new heaven and the new earth look like. And so he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away and the sea was no more. So when you break down the word heaven, right, the Hebrews had three words for heaven. There are three different definitions of heaven that they had. And the first heaven would be foul heaven. That's how it's translated, foul. Not smelling foul, but bird foul. So that's the heaven. That's the first heaven that you and I get to see, the blue skies where the birds fly. That's heaven number one. Heaven number two that's translated is starry heaven. That's the heavens that you see, obviously, at night when there's no clouds. You can see the stars out in the sky. The Hubble telescope can see about 200,000 miles away. As far as the eye can see, heaven too. And then there's a, a third heaven, the heaven of heavens is how it's translated. And that's where God is seated. And so what he's talking about here is not the heaven of heaven where God is seated because there's no reason to have a new heaven where God is seated. It's already perfect, but a new heaven and a new earth that we see. And somewhere along the lines of growing up in church, I missed this, okay? Because, and I think the term is called uh, mass psychosis. If you've ever heard of that, look it up. But basically, it's this. You hear something enough, you see something enough, and you read something enough, and it becomes reality to you, 
okay? So I heard stuff enough, I read stuff enough, and I saw stuff enough that made me believe that at the end of it all, that we leave earth and our spirits go up to heaven and we get to float around with our wings and see stuff. I was confident I wasn't going to get a halo. I think that was for the holier ones, but I was confident that I was going to get there, right? And, like, and that was heaven, that we were just going to float around in the cosmos and be there. I, and I don't know where I heard that. It, it might have been from cartoons, you know, when one of the cartoons gets smashed and he floats up and he's playing the harp on the cloud. Tom and Jerry, if you, it's old. It's old. Um, but I, somehow my brain went there. And I missed the fact that there is a physical aspect of the end, a new heaven and a new earth, a earth where our senses are heightened to feel and smell everything that we can't do now. And the new home is such a beautiful place because it's this, he says this, and the sea will be no more. So there's no more water? No, when you look at what the sea represents in the Old Testament, it's chaos and death. Think of Davy Jones' locker if you're a pirate guy, right? Like, think of that. There's chaos and death. And what John is saying that he saw was no more chaos. Like, let that settle in for a moment. What it would be like with no more chaos. Those parents who are parents of sports kids, yeah, getting home from work for five minutes and eating a bunch of food and then th throwing them in the car and running five different kids at different practices, right? We've... Now, most of us have been there. I see a lot of nodding heads from dads. Like, yep, mm -hmm, yep. We've all been there. Can you imagine just none of that? And that's just personal chaos. Think of like worldwide chaos. All the unrest out there. All the craziness of stuff happening. Our new reality is that doesn't exist. And for some of us, that's a hard pill to swallow because we kind of thrive in chaos. We're just so used to it. Like, what's it going to be like when we get there? I'm like, really, are we just going to sit around? And again, this is another thing that I kind of got in my head that I heard a sermon and it just stuck with me that when we die, we're going to be in heaven singing, holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's all we're doing. And I just thought to myself, I mean, is there a second verse? <laughs> There's got to be a different song, right? We're not just going to be up there just doing that the whole time because honestly, as a kid, that, that sounds boring to me. Okay, like here on earth, I got dirt bikes, I got four wheelers, I got football, I got basketball. Like, I mean, we got none of that up there. Like, and so for a while in my brain as a kid, I was like, I'm okay with it right here. And then I heard a sermon about hell. You know that hellfire and brimstone sermon? Oh yeah, I heard one of those. And I heard about this worm that was never quenched and my brain went to snakes. I, I'm not a snake guy. Spiders, bugs, not uh, snakes, mm -mm, that's not me, okay? Um, I will put my kids in front of me if there's a snake. Ask my kids. <laughs> True story. I actually, we, Laura and I were jogging when we were in college, and there was a giant snake in Atlanta, Georgia, where we went to school. And I literally, I think I went like this. I'm embarrassed, all right? But I'm not a snake guy, okay? Because in my mind, that's going to be biting at me all, like if you go to hell, that's what's going on, right? I can't go there, so I guess we're just going to sing holy, holy, holy is God of the Lord Almighty the whole time. I'm, I'm fine with that, I guess. But in all of that, like in my kid brain, I miss the fact that there is a physical aspect. There's a new earth where we get to feel and touch and be with other people outside of chaos. And let, let that settle in because there's a lot of us, there's chaos. There's a lot of chaos. 
And when we're just focused on the chaos, it drags you down. But when you have somebody who's heavenly-minded and is focused on getting there and what that's going to be like, the chaos slows down a bit. It's not as important. You start turning your TV off and leaving your phones. Like, nothing's better than going up north and not having cell phone service or TV service. Drives my kids crazy, but I love it. Like, true story, I didn't know about the submarine until, like, Thursday. I, I don't know how I missed it. I mean, we were up north. I'm okay, right? I just didn't even know about it. When we're constantly focused on the here and now, the chaos consumes us, and it brings you down. It wears you down. Chapter, verse 2 says this, Then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, come down out of heaven. God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will be with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their face, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. A new Jerusalem. Here's our, here's our new city, our new, what our new home looks like. Right? It comes down from heaven, perfect. And if you look at what Jerusalem represents, the history behind it is always the capital city of God's people. That's where God dwelled. When, when Solomon finally finished the temple, that's where God was. That's where he got to dwell. That's where people got to see a glimpse of him. And when you think of when they finished that tabernacle, think of when they first finished the movable tabernacle. Right? They finished it, they consecrated it, they cleaned it, and God came down like bright light, so bright they couldn't even look at it, only to be topped by the permanent temple that they built for God with all the gold, with all the bronze, with all the sapphire, with all of it. And he comes down when they cleanse it, and he comes down, and it's perfect. The light that shines from it, you can't even look at. We get a new Jerusalem where we're the bride, and Christ is the bridegroom. So the term bride has been used all over the New Testament. Where God is the bride, where Jesus is the bridegroom and we're the bride. And as tradition would have it, that there's a separation period when a man would propose to a woman in the Old Testament, there was a 10-month waiting period to make sure that she was pure. Because there's something that happens at nine months, and so you waited 10 months to make sure that didn't happen. And if that didn't happen, we're good, we can get married. That's why the whole thing with Jesus or with, when Jesus was born, right, with Mary and Joseph, there's a huge controversy, right, that she was pregnant inside of that 10 months. There's a huge controversy there with the, uh, the people of the time. So when you really break that down, there's a waiting period. And we're in that waiting period. We're his bride. The church is his bride. Those who put their faith and hope in Jesus, we're his bride. We're waiting for him to come back. And we're to make sure that we're, we're clean, that we're ready, that we're pure in the most way possible. And the only way to do that is through the blood of Jesus. Like none of us can work hard enough to get there. In fact, I love the quote. I don't even know who quoted it, but he literally says, if Jesus did 99% of the work and we were left to do 1%, we'd all fail. We would all fail. Jesus did 100% of it for those who put their faith, who repent and believe in him, that he is who he says he is, right? We get a new Jerusalem, a new capital city where there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying. I mean, think about that. If we were to do a survey right here and right now of how many people are suffering or have pain, 
I said in the first service, maybe 70-30, 70% would say, yeah, we got stuff going on. Maybe 30% would be like, we're good. More like probably 80-20. Yeah, I'm good right now. There's not a whole lot going on right now, but there was or maybe there is coming. When you're a part of a church, when you're part of the bride of Christ, you're with people, and I know that's messy, but being part of a messy church is just who God has created us to be. Because we get to see the mess. We get to see the hurt. We get to see the pain, the, jo- the loss of jobs, the cancer, random unexplained deaths. Like, we get, we're part of that. We get to be there for those people. But again, if you're only focused on that, it's going to bog you down. It's going to wear you down. But when you're heavenly minded, you see that and it still hurts. It's still hard to go through. But that's why Paul says things like, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's still hard to go through it. The sufferings of this current time compared to nothing with the glory that waits for me. Like, that's where we got to be. That's a heavenly minded brother of Christ right there. And what we see with him is this. He got to see the glory of God. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, it starts there. I knew a man who 14 years ago ascended to the third heaven. Whether by spirit or by body, I cannot say. He, if you study that, that's Paul talking about himself, that he got to see a glimpse of God. He got to see the glimpse of glory. And when you see that, no wonder he has the posture of, what can you possibly do to me? What can you possibly do to me when that's what's waiting for me? And it is important as it is to really study and know that fact that no more pain, no more sorrow, no more hurt, no more people stepping on your head, on your head to get ahead of you at work, none of that. As important as it is that we get to be outside of that, don't miss this. This is the most important part. If you take nothing else away from it, take this. We get to be with our Heavenly Father for the first time in the physical we get to see its face. Nobody up to this point has. The closest they got was the priests consecrating themselves and cleaning themselves to get into the inner chamber where God is. And even then, what they do? They tied a rope around their legs and be like, hey, man, if, it, uh, if something goes wrong, just pull me out. Maybe, maybe I'll, you'll save me. But we get to be with him in the physical. We get to see his face. We get to hear his voice. We get to smell him. We get to feel him. Like, that's really what being a Christian is about. That's what we're pursuing is to be with God the Father, the creator of all things. That's what we're pushing for. Like, if you're only a Christian because you don't want to go to hell, you're missing a huge part of being alive in Christ. And if the only reason you're a Christian is because I don't want, you know, one day maybe no more pain, no more sorrow, you're missing the big point of it. You're missing that joy that takes place when you think about what it's going to be like to be with God. Like, think, when, when you go to hell, if those people that are going to hell, the pain is going to hurt, yes. The snake is going to hurt, yes. But more important than all that, God turns his face from them. And as bad as things hurt right now, you're still in Christ and it hurts. You still have God here. Imagine that being gone. Like, our posture, our belief has to be that we're going to be with God in heaven. We get to see him, smell him, feel him, hear him. And I don't know what the pecking order is going to be like when we get there, but I want to know this. I want to push so hard that I can get so close to him. Like, I know I'm not going to be in the same subdivision as, like, John and Paul and Luke and all those guys, right? But is there a sub right next to them? Like, I want to be in that sub because I want to be so close to God, I want to be able to feel his breath when he speaks. 
Like, that's where I want to be. I don't want to be in the back row. I don't want to be in the nosebleeds. I want to be in that, next to him. That's got to be who we are. The heavenly mindedness of pushing towards that. He continues with this. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the springs of water of life without payment. The one who conquers I will, will have his heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. <clears throat> Those of us who are redeemed, who, are, who have accepted that Jesus is who he says he is, who've repented for their sins and believes that, there isn't a second death. For those that don't, there is a second death. And that second death leads to a place of fire and sulfur where there's no quenching apart from God. For those that have chosen to follow and have repented and believe, no second death. We get to be with our Heavenly Father forever. Don't miss that. When Paul, when, you know, you read Paul all the time, <clears throat> and you hear his posture, of course he's going to be a guy who says, hey, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I love that verse. Why? Because you can't do anything to somebody like that who's seen what the end is like. Hey, if you're going to take my life, I get to be with my heavenly father. If I'm going to live here and now, I'm going to pursue and push Christ all the time. I'm going to live a life that when people look at me, when they see me, when they hear me, it is of Christ. Always, forever. Because what does he say? For the conquerors, they will have their heritage. I will be their God and they will be my son. That whole term conqueror isn't a battlefield conqueror. That's a conqueror who stood firm in the faith. Who when trials came, he didn't back down or they didn't back down. When people started making fun of Christianity out in the world, like, if you haven't noticed, it, we are not a popular group. Those who truly believe that the Bible is what it says it is, we are not popular. It's coming. There's going to be a time where somebody's going to question it. Your job depends on it. Where your promotion depends on it. Will you stand for Christ and say, hey, I'm pushing it. Because if you take everything away from me and you take my life, I'm with God in heaven. Is that the, that's the posture that we have to have as a church. That's who we have to be. It's uncomfortable, I know. But what would you rather have? Comfort in the here and now? Or comfort in all eternity? No more death. No more pain. No more suffering. And hear me, I know, I talk to a lot of you. Well, my wife does. So I hear a lot. That's why we have wives, right? Like, they're awesome. But I hear of all the pain. I hear of the people in the hospital. I hear of the job losses. I hear of the financial turmoil. I, I hear of all of it. It's hard. And if you're just focused here and now, it's tough. 
It's tough. You can have the best support group around you, but at some point, you got to take your eyes off of this and put it on heaven and let that transform your mindset. Let that transform who you are so that our kids see Christ, so that our coworkers see Christ. If you're a teacher, so the kids that you teach see Christ. Like, that's more important than anything right now. I'll say that. If you're a teacher, man, we need to pray for them. The stuff that's coming through in public schools, it's terrifying. Will you stand or will you fold? How, like, that is who we are. Like, even as a job, what are we doing? Are the people that we're around at work seeing Christ? Church, we need to be a church that stands for that, that's heavenly-minded. If you're around, if you've ever been around somebody who's heavenly-minded, it's addicting. Sometimes annoying if you're not on the same wavelength because, man, like being around Paul would be tough. You can't touch the man. Go ahead. I'm going to keep pushing. Like, why can't we do that? Why are we so afraid of? Like, do we see what waits for us in heaven? That's where we have to put our minds. So this morning, the challenge is this, to put our minds on the fact that one day for those that believe that Jesus is who he says he is and repent, that are redeemed, that we will be with our heavenly father forever. And let that change us. Let that move in us so that when we do go to work, when we do go to school, when we do do all those things, that we have a totally different mindset. Let's pray. God, our holy and heavenly father, And like the song says, we're in awe of you. We're in awe of the fact that you're making all things new. We stand in awe of the fact that we get to be with you one day. God, we pray that we hold on to that truth. We don't allow it. We don't allow this life, this time to consume us, but to focus on you and know that that's coming and let that change who we are so that we will glorify you with every breath, God. Help us not leave unchanged. Help us just to remember who you are and what you've done and are doing continually. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.